This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. Looks right, throws a deep pass, right side, end zone, hits caught, hits a touchdown. And the Cardinals continue to pour it on. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Arizona! The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Great move to the right at the 50. Cuts back to the left at the 40. He's loose at the 30. He's at the 20. The 10. Touchdown, Cardinals! Rise up and make a play. And what a hit! Oh, my goodness! He got crushed. You've got to be kidding me. Come off the ball with malice. Here's Paul Calvisi. You guys ever hit that mode? when you're driving around and it's your fuel efficiency real-time readout you guys have that in your car and and it tells you exactly what sort of gas mileage you're getting at that very moment so you can be getting superior gas mileage when you're cruising downhill for example your foot's off the gas and then when you floor it like darren urban with a heavy foot we know around tempe kyle odegaard uh you know back in the days before he had his license suspended then finally got it back he's under severe he has a limiter on his vehicle, um, but as a car guy, you guys have to bear with me here on this one because I saw this stat. It was win probability in the fourth quarter. Okay, now this is the Cardinals' last game, obviously, the Hale Murray. But before all the drama, be right before the two-minute warning, the win probability for the Bills was 29%. The Cardinals was 71% because the Bills were trailing. Then after the Diggs touchdown, it was 97% win probability for the Bills, 3% for the Cardinals. Before the Hopkins touchdown, before the snap of the final play, it was 98% Bills, 2% Cardinals. And then they even calculated it. After the D-op, Hale-Murray touchdown, then all of a sudden the Cardinals' win percentage was 99, not 100, but 99% versus 1%. And I bring that in here to get us rolling on Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Is this taking it a little too, bit too far? And, and Kyle, if I ask you, I know what the answer is. But Darren, come on. As a man of reason here, you're somewhere in between me and Kyle. Do we really need these real-time readouts to the very moment as to the win probability percentages? Isn't this analytics run amok? I mean, do we need them? I don't know if we need them, but goodness gracious, Paul, if we didn't have all these numbers to throw around all the time, what would we have to talk about on Cardinals Underground? I mean... Well, you mean, what would we have to blast? Uh, you know, who would we have to criticize? That, that's a more likely uh, aspect of it. They uh, actually had in baseball a couple of years ago, they did the win probability on TV and pitch by pitch, it would change. And it drove viewers so badly that they had to pull it after like a month because everybody hated it so much. Who was who the audience for that? The degenerate gambler? I mean, honestly, I mean, who, who actually is seeking out that sort of real-time info? Well, first of all, Paul, I don't know if you want to bring up gamblers right now because, quite frankly, there's a lot of uh, irritated people out there because the Cardinals decided to take a knee on that extra point when the point spread was two and a half or three. And I heard I Cliff, even know that. I heard Cliff <laughs> Kingsbury on Arizona Sports say something along the lines that he had a bunch of Venmo requests from people because he felt like the cost of so I did not know that actually I had no idea that impacted the line see that's yet another one of a million reasons not to wager kids okay <laughs> I mean honestly that's um but you know what uh that doesn't surprise me I got a buddy who's a degenerate gambler and he's always complaining about stuff like that hey Scott Van Pelt runs a whole segment about that yeah. every every week on Sports Center, right 
And from the Cardinals' perspective, it was smart because worst-case scenario, you try to kick an extra point, it gets blocked and returned for two points, and you're tied. So there was no upside for the Cardinals to kicking that extra point. When is the last time that actually happened in the NFL? It's been a long time, hasn't it? Because I honestly was trying to remember, wait a minute, did they eliminate that rule? Has that rule been changed? I was trying to remember that in the moment. No, it's still there, and uh, but I don't remember the last time that it has happened. And, and I mean, look, the last thing I'm going to sit there and say is, why wouldn't you just kick the extra point? What are the chances of that happening? <laughs> uh, right after the DeAndre Hopkins catch, I don't – I mean, if anybody is thinking about improbable endings, it would be right in that moment. So, yeah, just kneel the dang thing. Well, it's so improbable that LeBron James tweeted D-Hop, had Blake Shelton with a tweet, we can't repeat. It that was made funny, to- though. It was funny. It uh, it made the Today Show. I saw it on Wall Street Journal. You guys are consumers of mass media. What what other platforms do you see the Cardinals uh, above the fold, if you will? Because it certainly went beyond sports and into the realm of news. I know it was on uh, – somebody said it was on uh, Good Morning America. Um, you know, look, it was – it had everything you need – Uh, in terms of getting outside the bounds of the normal NFL, which is, it was something that hardly ever happens. It was something that was easy to digest. Like we understand exactly what, what, and it didn't matter who won and who lost for somebody who didn't care because it was just a really cool, exciting thing to have happen. And so improbable. Um, I, I still, I still don't know how, I still don't know how. I mean, it's funny. You talk about the percentages of, chances to win um you know i have to post as soon as the game's over a quick like i don't know five or six short paragraph story about the outcome and then i rewrite with longer in quotes and everything after we get the uh talk to the players after the game so i have to have something ready and and as soon as the game's over and i'm all ready to push the button about cardinals lose a heartbreaker to the bills and you know, they get beat with this, you know, with 34 seconds left. And uh, my first thought was, holy crap, which I tweeted out at the time uh, when he caught it. And then my second thought was, oh, my God, I have to rewrite this really, really quick to have something ready by the time the game's over, because none of what I have written, including the headline, works anymore. How many likes on holy crap did you get? Like 2,000 or something absurd? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's over 1,000. I, I do know that. And, and that's all I said. Right. Right. See, that's the euphoria of the moment. And what's great about it, you could consume it as a non-sports fan in 10 to 15 seconds. You watch the play, you can hear the call, or you can talk about it all day, all week. It just depends on your appetite level and and the degree of fandom you might have an interest in it because we can get incredibly in-depth. When when DeAndre Hopkins, correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle, says that's the best catch he's ever made – that that's rates number one ever. I mean, here's a guy who had 115 catches in 2018 alone and zero drops. The most catches ever according to pro football focus about a single drop in a single season. If he's rating that the number one catch of his career, well, you know what? And you're DeAndre Hopkins. That does merit headlines. Yeah. And this is a dude who's been in the playoffs. Who's been in a lot of big games has had a lot of huge games, as you said, but I mean, how many times does a Hail Mary convert and 
a lot of times it's not the star player who catches it. It's like a random tight end or the ball bounced out and your, your four string receiver was lucky enough to grab it. So the fact that it's a superstar quarterback to arguably the most recognizable wide receiver in the NFL, it, it really was a perfect potion for virality. And I think this, this game was on CBS and I think like 75 or 80% of the country got it. So I think a lot of people were invested in watching that exciting third and fourth quarter and to have it culminate like that was was really cool and I think the Cardinals are quickly becoming an it team you've got a young superstar quarterback in Kyler Murray you've got a lot of entertaining players uh, it's you know you've got your hardcore fans that have been there from the doldrums of 2018 but I think the bandwagon is starting to pick up with these people that are just more marginally interested in football and it seems like the Cardinals are a team that a lot of the casual fans are jumping onto. I love the analysis from DJ Humphreys who might have a career in broadcasting the former host of the Big Red Rage by the way his analysis was that's the first Hail Mary I've ever seen or heard of that wasn't luck. Yeah that was great. That was a great way to, to sum it up. I mean Darren was it even a Hail Mary? Usually you flood the end zone with the receiver. It wasn't – I know we did – we just recorded a game plan, Cliff Kingsbury's TV show, and, and, he, and he, he made it sound like they were trying to get a chunk throw and out of bounds, right? So, you know, some of this Cliff talked about, some of this he talked about with his buddy Peter Schrager who, who uh, discussed it on Good Morning Football. But essentially it was a play, and I don't know if you guys remember – uh, the play a few years ago, I, I don't know if it was a playoff game or not. It was Green Bay playing Dallas and Aaron Rodgers rolled to the left the exact same way and hit, and I'm forgetting the tight end's name, but he hit the tight end on an amazing line drive throw right out, out of bounds or like right on the sideline. He made the catch and like the next play or whatever, they ended up getting a game winning field goal when Dallas should have won the game. And it was basically the same play which is for the Cardinals, it was still the quarterback rolling out left, just like Kyler did. It wasn't supposed to be quite as, there shouldn't have been as much penetration, but it was supposed to be him rolling to the left. And then you send hop deep. And then Andy Isabella was supposed to be the, the tight end in this play, streaking across the field, catching it a little bit before going out of bounds and then just getting out of bounds. And then in theory, instead of a 43 yard touchdown pass, you have somewhere between a 20 and a 25 yard throw. And it makes it a little bit more realistic to run something down there and to have it be less than a juck, just to chuck it up. And uh, Andy Isabella, because of the pressure, Kyler had to get out and chuck it up probably before Andy had gotten all the way over. And they had told him, look, if hops open, go ahead. But hop wasn't open. I mean, there was nobody down there. I just feel like that was desperation on Kyler's part. And that's okay. Uh, but I agree. I mean, ultimately, with the hands that he had, DeAndre Hopkins, and they are massive, and I've, I've shaken his hand before, and it's, it's a, an experience getting enveloped by those mitts. Um, he said, if I get my hands on the ball, I feel like I'm going to be able to come down with it, and that's what happened. And it reminded me so much. Uh, and I know, Paul, you remember this, and, and Omo remembers this. Uh, right before halftime in 2007, Kurt Warner chucked one up to the end zone, and Anquan and Larry Fitzgerald were both there, but Larry just went up and grabbed it in a mass of bodies. He got his hands on it and came down, and then and Larry, being Larry, literally came down, tossed the ball to the ref, and ran into the, into the locker room without his teammates even having a chance to congratulate him. So that's what it reminded me of, and 
on a secondary note, and I know I'm kind of rambling here, but a couple of years ago, I talked to Freddie Kitchens about Larry Fitzgerald's huge Super Bowl run. And the play that ended the Super Bowl for the Cardinals where Kurt Warner was stripped at the end, that was supposed to be a Hail Mary. And uh, Larry Fitzgerald was down in the end zone. And Freddie Kitchens insists to this day that if Kurt Warner had been able to get the throw off, Larry would have caught Hail Mary because Troy Palomalo had, was on Larry's hip. Uh, he's got an ample rear end there and he, he had boxed out Palomalu. And I guess in one conversation Kitchens had later with um, Dick LeBeau, that LeBeau said that watching the play later, they were scared to death because they felt Larry had perfect position. And if they had gotten the throw off, they feel like Larry would have caught it. And again, these are miracle type plays, yet these are the players that make them. And that's what I thought of with DeAndre Hopkins. He's the kind of player that makes these kinds of plays. It was single coverage. It was Palomalo. I, I, I would have to go back and look. I'm sure it wasn't quite as obvious that right. maybe they're making it sound. And this was many years later, but who knows? I mean, DeAndre Hopkins had two guys plus one flying in like a crazy man and he still caught it. See, well, from my from my vantage point, Paul, I didn't feel like it was. I almost agree with DJ Humphreys, where it was almost like a hail mary, but not quite a hail mary. Because I think Kyler Murray saw the two defenders. I don't think he saw the safety screeching over. So in his mind, and from my vantage point, when I saw that pass, I thought it had a decent shot when it was in the air. You saw Hopkins posted up pretty good, looking at it. You knew you knew he can high point the ball. You know he's got the good hands. The throw looked pretty good, and it was obviously a crazy good catch, but it didn't feel like having eight players, you know, three of your guys and five of the defenders all going for it. It felt like a little bit different than a, a classic Hail Mary, and yeah, it was stunning that he caught it, but seeing the way the, the play lined up after Kyler Murray got away from that sack, I felt like it had a better than usual chance being a Hail Mary. Well, you know, we have to change now. We have to update the default saying about DeAndre Hopkins. If he's single covered, he's still open. Now it's if he's triple covered, he's still open. So that, that, that's, that's what we have to. And I love the description from Kyler Murray where all you saw, especially from his vantage point, 50 yards away, is all you saw were the black gloves yeah. come up in the mass of humanity of the Bills. For me, I was down on the rail. Uh, so I'm in the front row, but I'm over in that corner of the end zone. And – my vantage point was, oh, boy, is this Pat? First, I lost Kyler behind the line of scrimmage. Oh, no, where is he? Did he fall down? What's going on? Then he squirts loose. Is he going to get it? He whips it. It's coming right at us in the end zone. I'm like, oh, it's not going to make it. It's like, It'll make it. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, up, down goes everyone. I'm looking for the ball. I'm like, it's not on the ground. It's not in the hands of one of three Bills defenders. That means it's in the hands of DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> and it was at that point, the process of elimination, where I'm like, oh, and then every, all hell broke loose. Security guards got sucked into the scrum. Anyone who was like a big tidal wave, anyone who was in the area, it was like an undertow. You just got sucked into the celebration that was up along the rail. Unreal. I mean, it was, uh, it was just, the whole play was just crazy. I, you talk about the black gloves. There's a, there's a still photo and there's a million still photos out there from a lot of different angles, but there was one perfect one uh, from the front side. I think it was an AP photo, but because of where the bills defenders were literally, that's all you saw were the black gloves. Now we have a couple of angles from our photographers from the side or from the back where you get a better angle of De DeAndre, which are incredible photos too. But that front one 
where you, I can understand why somebody said they just see the gloves. Cause you, you couldn't see any red. I mean, he was that boxed out by those guys and it's still, still an incredible play. And I know Deandre Hopkins made an amazing play, but the fact that Kyler Murray could get that ball off to yeah. me was sensational. I, I thought he was sacked for sure. He didn't, he didn't really have an angle on that guy and he juked him and got around him. And then to make that throw 50 yards while falling to your side, not, not rolling out the right way, you're rolling against your right arm handedness. So it was, it was just a really athletic play. And I think it was Marcus Golden who talked about his baseball background. And that's the type of play you make when you're a shortstop, not, not a quarterback. So that probably did help him out knowing how to throw at this weird angle and throw a, a really nice ball 50 yards down the field to give DeAndre Hopkins a chance. And he played a lot of middle infield in his day, but if he would have gone to the A's and pursued pro baseball, he would have been a center fielder, right? Isn't that yeah. where they were projecting? Because what I thought of was, here's, a, here's an outfielder in the gap running down a ball and then trying to wing it to the cutoff man while his right. momentum's going the other way just to try and get it back in time to cut the runner off at home. That's sort of, that's kind of the simulation of what it looked like. To Maybe me. he'll add the spin next time to really up the degree right. of difficulty. Because, because the, the, the other thing that got, got lost in this, especially seeing it from the angle that I had at the press box, was the he was so close to the sideline to throw it basically straight. that It would have been so easy for that thing to angle out of bounds and have no chance, given he was moving and throwing and everything. And somehow he threw it like on a line down the sideline about five yards in. It was nuts. And you know what? That's the same end zone where Jeff Janis caught one to, to force overtime in the playoff game that was ultimately decided by Hale Larry and then the shovel pass for the game winner in the 2015 playoffs. So, so why not? Why not another uh, game decider <laughs> there? Instead of from Aaron Rodgers, it's from, from Kyler Murray on that one. And I tell you, you know what else got my attention? I still have the headsets on, and I'm watching Kyler Murray do the post-game CBS interview, socially distanced, and the TV – sideline person is up on the rail not far from where I was and Kyler's down on the field with a mic and I'm like wait a minute what is that and I took off my headsets and it was the Red Sea that was still there chanting MVP MVP and I'm like you know what especially with the way some other quarterbacks are trending <laughs> Russell Wilson uh <laughs> guess what uh, how viable right now Darren in your mind is Kyler Murray as an MVP candidate going into week 11 well, I mean, I think he's viable because they're six and three and they're, they're winning games. And again, what did we talk about the couple of times that we talked about this subject in the summer uh, and whether it could ever happen? It wouldn't matter. I mean, it matters about what Kyler does on an individual level, but if they don't win enough games, it's not going to ultimately matter. And you're, it's still going to be an uphill battle. I know Wilson's fallen off a little bit but Patrick Mahomes is still whatever he is 26 and two touchdowns the interceptions and they're going to win 14 games that's going to be tough but he, he's going to be in the conversation now the question becomes does this team continue to win I mean we've spent whatever it's been now 20 minutes or so talking about this unbelievable play and it was worth it and it was fun and it's exciting but if that's incomplete and this team loses and they've got a two-game losing streak and they're five and four and without those, you know, without that last pass, Kyler's passing numbers were okay. They weren't outstanding in this game and they would have lost another game where they probably could have won. And people were going to, are going to be wondering, are this, is this team even going to have a, you know, get to the playoffs. And now we're talking about MVPs and winning divisions. So it's crazy how one play can change some things, but this team 
needs to clean some stuff up. They can't get the ball up four with four minutes to go and go three and out. That can't happen. You know, and there are some media outlets who like to post these weekly updates, Kyler Murray's numbers, how they're better at this point in the season than Lamar Jackson, last year's MVP. And I get it, and that's impressive. And, yes, he's tracking to become the first quarterback ever with 4,000 passing yards and 1,000 rushing yards. But to Darren's point there, Kyle, Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, won 14 games last year. So that's the most important number of all, I think, ultimately, is whether the Cardinals would be anywhere near the Kansas City Chiefs, for example, in the win column. Uh, I, I kind of disagree. I feel like of if, course you do. If they, I mean, if he 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 won MVP because his last eight games were absolutely unreal. Look at Lamar Jackson's statistics for the last half of the season. If they win 14 games and he doesn't put up those numbers, he doesn't get MVP. So I think it is an individual award for what you've done. I think if the Cardinals win 10 games and make a wild card, I think that's enough. If Kyler Murray is worthy. But at this point, I think Patrick Mahomes, like Darren said, is the leader. I think Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson are clearly ahead of him. Kyler Murray, I think if his passing efficiency improves, maybe he's in that conversation. I don't think you could have him higher than fourth right now. To me, what's interesting is the one thing you can't really measure with him is his impact on the running game when he doesn't carry the ball. And he's going to get, like you said, a thousand yards rushing more than likely by himself. But Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds are also having these great numbers because Kyler Murray is such a threat running it. So you look at the overall efficiency on the ground, that's so much because of Kyler Murray, and he doesn't get credit for the running back yardage. Um, So I think that's in his favor. But, yeah, I agree with Darren. I mean, the passing game has to improve overall for him to legitimately be in that conversation. And I'm going to disagree with your disagreement just from the standpoint of last year with Lamar Jackson. I mean, I think one of the reasons Baltimore was winning was because Lamar put up those crazy stats. But I think if if Lamar Jackson puts up those crazy stats and that team wins 10 games instead of 14, I don't think he's MVP. I think Russell Wilson probably is MVP. So I do think I do think ultimately they kind of go hand in hand. You've got to have the great stats, but you're going to start losing some momentum behind your candidacy if you don't win enough of the games because the team, the players that are on the teams that are winning all those games are going to catch. Now, if, if you're in a situation where nobody wins 14 and you've got all these 10 win, 11, 12 win teams, then things even out a little bit more. But I, I think if there's one outstanding team, if Patrick Mahomes numbers aren't quite the same, but they win 14, I, I don't think Kyler's got a chance. Are you allowed to disagree with yourself here on Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals? Because you know what? Considering, let's say that's the scenario, Darren. Let's say that the most wins in the NFL this year is a dozen. Uh, Will the voters have the wherewithal and the knowledge, especially you East Coast bias guys, to realize the Cardinals were a five-win team last year? Lamar Jackson the year previous, they went to the playoffs. Now he had a miserable playoff game and they lost and they were ousted by the Chargers, but they were a playoff team. You're talking about Kyler Murray taking a team to the playoffs and maybe 10 or 11 wins, if that's the way it unfolds, coming off a five-win season, before that a three-win season before he ever arrived. Here's here's how I interpret that, though, and this goes back to what Kyle was talking about. This isn't just about the Cardinals and being off the radar a little bit. This is a sexy team, and Kyler Murray is a sexy player in terms of how the NFL looks at things, and – 
he's the kind of guy that already has a huge national uh, scope. So I don't, I don't think he, they're going to get lost in that regard. I, I think people very much know Kyler Murray right now. He's done well on some uh, major stages. This last game wasn't an, a national, well, it was kind of nationally televised. Kyle, Kyle was saying that it had gone to most of the nation, but because of the play, now everybody's talking about the Cardinals again. They're going to be on national TV Thursday night. If he plays well and they win, he's absolutely going to be right front and center because he's the kind of guy that networks want to put on TV. He's the kind of guy that the kids want to be like, and he's the new kind of uh, quarterback that the league is going to ride into the future here. So I, I don't worry about the Cardinals and Kyler Murray in particular getting lost in that regard. I just think we have to give the voters the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I, I get it. Like back in the day when Andre Dawson is winning MVP, like that was egregious, but now there's so many statistics. There's so many ways to measure quarterback play. And I think the Dolphins game is a good example. The Cardinals lost that game, but Kyler Murray played tremendously. And if he does that consistently and your team goes 10 and six, because you lost the majority of these coin flip games because your kicker missed or because something happened defensively, I don't think voters are going to penalize quarterbacks for that. And I understand that value is somewhat indicative in wins, but wins are not a quarterback stat. I think there's a distinct difference between who the most valuable player is and who the best team is when you're talking about so many players on a team. And I think, I don't think Kyler Murray is there yet because individually he's not at that level, but I don't think a 10 win team would not have an MVP quarterback if that player deserves it. We'll, we'll see Kyle. I, I know most of the 50 man voting roster and they, they age range more towards where I am than where you are. And I, I think some of them are forward thinking, but I'm not hundred percent sure all of them. Well, they got Lamar Jackson, right? So yeah, that's true. They won 14 games though. I'm trying to figure out if I should be offended by that forward thinking comment or not. I'll, I'll get back to you on that uh, as, as someone who's not in Kyle's age demo. Yeah, neither um, am I. I, did, I never said age. Yeah. I did. Uh, let me ask you, you know, I mean, what, are you saying I'm not poly progressive over here? What are we saying? Okay, look, uh, here's my question. Uh, as, as we get this, there's only one downside to a winning team, a playoff team, a team that's the darling of network TV, and that is the night games when you do morning radio. So <laughs> you guys tell me, what are the odds over the last month of the season or so that the Cardinals might be flexed? into some more primetime games. Is that a distinct possibility here? Well, let's let's start. I just want to let you know, Paul, 310. 310 a.m. is the uh, approximate landing time that. from Seattle on, yeah. on Friday morning. Just want to Translation, let you know. zero sleep. Continue. Uh, I'll let Kyle handle this one. No, I don't know. I, I don't know if they have the matchups. Like, you know, the Patriots are still a draw, for example. Uh, they have the New York Giants. I mean, I know it's the New York market. Obviously, the Giants are. I, I love the headline last week where Fox's NFL ratings are down 6%. And a senior VP, one of the suits for Fox TV, blamed it on the NFC East. Because <laughs> the <laughs> NFC is so bad. And they have so many big markets that it's killing Fox's TV ratings this year. And I think I saw a, a viewership number where, like, still the most viewed game was an Eagles-Cowboys game when they were both yeah. – far under 500 so that works against the cardinals getting flexed but i think 
the fact that they're good. I mean, you've got games against the Rams coming up that could be very important. They got a game against, you know, the Patriots. There's there's some big games left on the schedule that could mean a lot. So who knows? But I think it, there's a chance, depending on how things shake out, if they're right in that mix and you're playing the Rams for the division title or something in the last game, then it's possible. Kyle, I don't know what you're talking about. When the Eagles played the Cowboys on that most viewed thing, that was for first place in the NFC East. <laughs> I mean, that, like that I was, said, two under 500 teams. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're right on the Rams, though, because the number two TV market and the Rams right now, obviously, there's a three way tie atop the division. Cardinals have the number one total offense. Rams have number two total defense. So there, there's a lot to like in that matchup. There's no doubt about it. Cliff Kingsbury and, and Sean McVay. So, yeah, I'd say that's on the radar. There's no doubt about it. Well, once again, gentlemen, you know, we're, we're now we're looking ahead. We're, we're violating the golden rule in the NFL. Let's take it one at a time. There was no 24-hour rule. There's a 12-hour rule of celebration yeah. because you're on a short week. That being the case, you're looking at a Seahawks team, Kyle, that has now lost three out of four and is a totally different team ever since that second half against the Arizona Cardinals. And they had three picks against Russell Wilson in that game. He came in with three picks in five games. And yeah, their defense has been woeful all year long, but now all of a sudden the Seahawks are a train wreck on offense based on the last couple of games. Yeah, and I don't think there should be any concern around Russell Wilson having a, a bad game or two. That's that's going to iron itself out and the small sample size alert right there. I mean, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and that's not changed anytime soon. But the but fact that the Cardinals have ruined him like they ruined Jake DeLone back in the day. <laughs> like, like hot take alert. You don't think that, oh, that those three interceptions, the second half at OT doomed him like Jake DeLone. I like how you form it in a question. So you're not technically saying it. So it's <laughs> right. not technically a hot take. That's right. Plausible deniability right there. Putting that squarely <laughs> in your living room, literally here as we're socially distanced. Yeah. yeah. Right. But I, I mean, I think, I think the bigger concern for the Seahawks is defensively, they got Jamal Adams back and he has not been very good according to pro football focus in coverage. And he, he made a big impact in his first game since then he's been below average. And if, if they're not good with him on the field, there's no real chance of that defense being good, barring some unforeseen turnaround. And they just gave up two first round picks for him. So that could be a bit, pretty bad trade if he doesn't iron things out. Um, but I think if you've got one of the best quarterbacks, you're still going to have a chance weekly. But if your defense is struggling that much, then you can lose games too. So I don't think they're quite the juggernaut people might have thought early on um i still think they're the favorite in the nfc west because of what's left on their schedule but certainly the the cardinals and the rams are right there with them but if i tell you darren that russell wilson was the seahawks leading rusher in their last game a loss to the rams 23 16 if i tell you that russell wilson has thrown multiple picks in consecutive games for the first time since his rookie season you look at a lot of these numbers and these metrics and just the eyeball test and Russell Wilson and that interception he threw in the end zone, trying to find that jump pass, trying to find his tight end when he easily could have run for the first down. He just looks discombobulated. At the very least, it looks like he's trying to do too much. I know Russell Wilson has been the great eraser. They've had a lot of weaknesses on a lot of those teams and Russell Wilson has made up for it and then some, but it just seems like they're so deficient in so many areas. He's trying to do too much at this point. There's a lot of pressure on Russell Wilson to, to do everything right there. And you, you talk about the run game. They've been crushed with injuries. And I know the Cardinals are starting to get some important ones of their own. But, um, 
you know, Jamal Adams hasn't played well, but he's been hurt most of the season too. And Quentin Dunbar is hurting and their, their secondary is a mess. It's a mess anyways. And it's really been a mess in terms of guys being healthy and on the offensive side of the ball without having uh, Chris Carson, who's by far their best running back. Um, they just, they don't really have a chance. And if you're Russell Wilson and you know, okay, my defense is going to give up 35 points and 5,000 yards a game. And my running backs are going to gain about 16 yards total because we're like seven deep um, on the depth chart. I mean, that's tough. And, you know, so I, look, I, I'm never going to sit here and say Russell Wilson's got a problem uh, because I know how good he can really be, but as good Aaron Rodgers saw has seen it a little bit in the past too. After a while, even if you're a great quarterback, you got to have some guys around you. And right now they don't have a lot in that, on that roster. They just don't. And when you add in the injuries, they really don't. And I think that's a big problem. Here, I ripped this straight off NFL Live on ESPN. It was a graphic. I took a quick picture of it. You'll like this, Kyle. Before the bye, the Seahawks were 5-0. and They're now 1-3 and since the bye. Russell Wilson's touchdown-to-interception ratio going into the bye, 19-3. to Coming out of the bye in those four games, nine touchdown passes, seven picks. And as a team, they were number one in the NFL in the turnover ratio plus six. They've been minus five, negative five, coming out of the bye in those four games. So... I don't know what didn't happen during the bye for the Seahawks, but uh, it's been devastating. They're a different team right now. I think random variation happened, Paul, and I think he, <laughs> he, he's not as good. Like 95% confidence interval or something he's, here, are you? He's not random as good. Variation. Wasn't he that, that edge rusher in the third round from <laughs> Iowa State? Yeah. he's Russell Wilson's not as good as he looked in the first five games and he's not as bad as he's looked in the last four he's probably the aggregate of what those two will tell you right now which is the third best quarterback in the NFL this season which is still pretty good and that's probably about where he ranks and I mean you're not going to go I don't think the Cardinals are going to go to Seattle and and Russell Wilson you, you can't count on a bad game from Russell Wilson despite these recent struggles and I think anybody thinking that is going to be proven wrong. So I think the Cardinals are going to have their hands full defensively against him. They've still got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I think that's a really tough matchup for a secondary that did a pretty good job against the Bills. But, I mean, the Seahawks are, are still a good team. They're not quite as good as that 5-0 and record suggested. And even at the time, looking beyond the record, their overall metrics did not say they were a great team and I still think they're a good team, but they're just coming back down to where they should be. You know why? You know why you, you got to be worried if you're the Cardinals about Russell Wilson is because he's clutch. I <laughs> know, Darren. No, please no, please no, please save it for another edition of Cardinals Underground or Pacific <laughs> Office Automation. That's an entirely that's a, that's a breakout session for Kyle after the podcast. That's what we'll save that for. Okay, please. Um, by the way, all right, if you want to bag on something, Kyle, all right, you're not buying my Russell Wilson numbers, uh, see if you can save the Seahawks' pass defense at this point, because going into last week, I also saw this, that they had given up almost 2,900 passing yards through eight games, and not only is that the most through eight games in NFL history, but last year, the 2019 Patriots and Niners allowed fewer passing yards in 16 games. Think about that. So if we're looking to get the Cardinals passing game in gear, and you guys cited it earlier that maybe Kyler Murray near, needs to bolster some of his passing numbers if he wants to go ahead and uh, fortify his MVP 
candidacy. Well, guess what? This is the passing defense to do it against. And I can comfortably agree with you there because they've shown no signs of being a even below average past defense. It's been pretty horrible all season. And yeah, I totally agree. I, I thought the Cardinals were really going to be able to pass the ball well against Buffalo, seeing as how they didn't have Josh Norman and they didn't have Levi Wallace and it didn't materialize. And to me, I think you're going to need to be able to pass to win these types of games. As Darren said, you needed that Hail Mary with two seconds left to beat the Bills. I mean, you you move the ball pretty decently. And in most games, you're probably going to do better in the red zone. But no, I mean, they, they ran the ball unbelievably well in this game. And they still didn't control it completely because the passing game wasn't there. And I know I'm a broken record, but passing is what is the name of the game in the NFL. And I think the Cardinals, if they can get top 10 in the NFL in passing to go with this insanely efficient rushing offense then you're really cooking with gas there but they have to be able to show that in the last seven games I mean, the Seahawks could get William Wallace right now and I don't think it would make much of a difference they were missing their top two cornerbacks I know against the Rams missing their top two running backs as Darren said without their starting center I mean not only are they talent deficient but they've had a lot of injuries uh, how about the Cardinals secondary though real quick Darren and we're talking about pass coverage and the fact they got bodies back and starters back and they had interceptions to show for it against Josh Allen. Yeah. And that was such a huge thing. I mean, the, the difference back to back weeks in terms of how the secondary went And look, Josh Allen and the bills did some things through the air in the first half, but they clamped down enough that they kept the bills within spitting distance, which was important. And um, having Patrick Peterson play fairly well, I mean, he could have had three picks in that game. Uh, and that one that he did make was was that was a nice play. Uh, Drake Kirkpatrick's interception, I thought, was excellent. And I think he flashed a little bit more of what they were hoping to get. Now, he's got to stay healthy. He was dealing with a thigh injury. Now he's got a hamstring. And again, on these short weeks, you just don't know. You, you can't teams can't sign anybody to play uh, on a week to week basis because of COVID. I mean, they anybody, the Cardinals or the Seahawks use Thursday night. They're already there, whether it's on the 53-man roster or your practice squad, and you got to figure out some things. And, you know, when, as we record this um, early in the week, the initial injury report for both teams was incredibly long. And that doesn't necessarily mean all these guys are going to miss Thursday's game um, because uh, it is early in the week and they did both just play games. But you got to wonder about both these teams, about key guys and whether they're going to be in there or not. Let me, let me tell you, and you're right, the injury report is another podcast onto itself. There, there's, there's no doubt about that. And it was good to see Buda Baker out there playing very well, even though he had the tricky groin, according to Craig Grillo. That was a solid line on the pregame show. I, I enjoyed that. I spit up my coffee in the car on the commute in. Um, but uh, what about what, <laughs> the fact that Kenyon Drake, that Kenyon Drake was out there. Now, I know he had the fumble and all oh, that could have been an utter disaster and, and and it was costly. There's no doubt about it. But just the fact, Kyle, that Kenny and Drake was out there and had a hundred yard rushing game after three weeks, we saw him getting carted off. That was remarkable. Yeah. And he, I mean, he practiced every day, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, heading up to the game. And usually when you do that, you feel really good about somebody's chances of playing. And I was still kind of iffy, like, are they just trying to pretend like he's going to play to get Buffalo changing up their strategy but he played and he looked good I mean he didn't show any ill effects of that and having an explosive Kenyon Drake who is running north and south I think is a, a big difference we saw Chase Edmonds 
in the game against Miami when he had to do it himself and he did not look as explosive as he did last week and prior because he had to play every single snap and for a guy his size and for any running back to to get that many touches and to play that much it's just a pounding physically and conditioning wise so I think it works really well for them to have both of those guys and you look at the snap count Chase Edmonds and Kenyon Drake were practically 50-50 in this game, and it was a great duo. When when one guy was a little bit tired, you use the other one. They're used in a little bit different ways depending on what you're doing and down in distance, but I think having Kenyon Drake back is big, especially the way he played. Like you said, he had the fumble, but he was running decisively and showed a nice burst. And that's our segue to what happened the last time the Cardinals went to Seattle as we wrap up this edition of Cardinals Underground presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. We all remember that. Everybody now is a team. The Cardinals ran it 40 times for 253 yards on the ground. It was a dominating rushing performance in week 16 a year ago. The big difference because the Cardinals won five of their last six in Seattle. Isn't that correct, Darren? Am I close on that? Uh, I, that sounds about right, yes. At least that's what I trolled the 12s with here recently. Uh, I mean, the only, the only time they lost was a uh, last second field goal in Steve Wilkes' year, and they, they almost won that game. That's right. But there's no fans this time. And, and we, we know we've all been up there, and I can tell you from the sideline, the Cardinals, they feed off the 12s and that energy and the intensity and the hatred and us against the world, and that won't be there. It's going to be just like New York and MetLife Stadium, zero fans. It's funny you bring up Seattle and the big story about the last time they went up there, because I thought for sure, Paul, you were going to mention the fact that Kyler Murray got hurt and they had to bring in the backup quarterback, which was Brett Hundley. And I thought you were going to use that as some springboard to get more Chris Streveler. On the- <laughs> well, you know what? Okay. Mandatory level, or you're right. Let's call an audible here real quick. Remember Lev and I could call him Lev because I think we're on that kind of basis right now, even though, even though I've still yet to have, to officially chop it up with with Strebler. I mean, because of COVID and the pandemic, I haven't really actually had a one-on-one with him, which is unbelievable. But anyway, um, remember Brett Hundley after that drive, that touchdown drive where he had two glorious runs where he did not get out of bounds. Yeah. He, he turned and took a bow, literally took a bow and almost a curtsy towards the Cardinals sideline and then everybody lost it. And that ended up being you know, the game-winning touchdown drive. Well, we're gonna, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see again how they match up. You know, not having the fans, that's important. Short week with the injuries. I mean, we haven't even touched on Corey Peters might be out maybe for the season. We'll see as a knee injury certainly doesn't isn't going to play this week. And that's a, a loss you lose. And when you talk about no fans and getting yourself pumped up, Corey Peters is a guy that I would think, hey, that's a guy you want in front of the team saying, guys. We have to focus here. And now you might not have that. Um, you know, I, it's and a night game. I mean, it is going to be a national TV, but that's that place is going to be eerie at night, quite frankly, looking out on the skyline with no fans in there. What's that going to be like? Yeah. It's am, I the, be... am I the only one of us three who thinks it's actually a good thing that there's no fans? Oh, no, it's my. a good thing. Okay. It's absolutely a good thing. Is it happy hour yet? How so? How so, Kyle? Go ahead. I mean, sure. I guess you can do the us against the world, but uh, Darren wrote a good blog last week, I think, about how there's basically no more home field advantage without fans. And having the noise at home is a huge advantage, as we've seen. I mean, you basically get three points on on these betting lines 
depending on the location because of the fans, because of the home field advantage. So you're taking away a field goal difference without fans. And it's been kind of weird that the Cardinals have won up there all the seasons and certainly sticking it to rabid fans is a good thing. But if you give a team the option on the road, I would think they would always rather play without fans because your communication is better and it's just a lot less imposing in that situation. Well, to, to be fair, Kyle, I know kind of where Paul's going with this because he he just he kind of assumes the Cardinals winning up in Seattle now with all those fans and he wants to give him one of those Carson Palmer, you know, one of those <laughs> gestures there. You remember the gesture? Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's right. In line with the Blake Shelton tweet. We can't totally uh, tell you in detail about that. But yes, there was a gesture, which to this day, Carson still says he was he was he was uh, that was intended for his brother <laughs> and a buddy up in the stands because I saw sure, him do Carson. it next to me, but he was doing it. That's what he said. So but look, you know, the positive. OK, the positive of no fans. You're right, Kyle, is that. You don't have to worry about silent count either in the game or preparing for it. You don't have to practice it all week. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury told us after the Jets game that there were times where he yelled out directions to his own receivers, which would never happen if the stadium was full when the opponent has the ball. So there are advantages there. I think the disadvantage is if, knock on wood, you get a game like Carolina where there's no fans to feed off of and there's zero energy and intensity. And after the game, guys say, well, we were kind of flat and it was hard to get up because there's nothing there. And so that's my fear. I'm hoping and praying, and I think the Cardinals are past that, that they're aware you have to BYOE, bring your own energy. Um, But to me, that's a real thing. I know you can't quantify that with numbers, but it it is a real thing in terms of the physicality uh, of the game and and that's where the Cardinals have gone up there and won, guys, uh, to me, is they've gone up there and they've been every bit as physical, if not more, than some of those Seattle teams that were known for that physicality with the likes of Marshawn Lynch and the Bobby Wagner in his prime and, you know, all, all, and, you know Cliff Averill coming off the edge and Frank Clark. I mean, those guys were ferocious. And so uh, we'll see. We'll see if the physicality is there without the fans. There's definitely been a lot of great games and, you know, the last few years, the Cardinals have been super competitive and won some and they didn't mean a whole lot in the grand scheme. And for this one to be such a big deal in the division, if you beat the Seahawks up there, you wrap up the head to head, you're a game ahead in the standings, you're ostensibly two games ahead because of the tiebreaker and you're in a great spot to finish ahead of Seattle, even though Seattle's schedule is easier. So the Cardinals, if they can pull off this upset, they're sitting pretty, but it's it's a tough task going up there against a team that's talented. So we'll see what happens, but the Cardinals aren't done in the division if they lose, but if they win, you're really talking about being in a good spot for those final six games. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, Paul, you know, with all that riding on the line, what Kyle just talked about, you know, I don't, you may be right. They might not be able to generate that without the crowd, but I I don't want to hear it. I mean, if you're truly a contending team and you're the team that you keep saying you are, that's that's a bunch of hooey in terms of, oh, we don't have fans. We can't generate it ourselves. I mean, I I, I don't get that. I won't understand it. I guess I understood a little bit more earlier in the year. And I, I truly believe while they came out flat in Carolina, I think that game, I would have liked to see that game with Buda Baker and see how much of it was not having the energy and how much of it was not having their guy in the secondary and that safety problem. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. There, there is no legitimate viable excuse. It's for first place. It's your arch rival. You're on national TV. Uh, there should be plenty of ammunition right there to come out just like you did a year ago when you went out there and set the tone for four quarters and, and one going away, playing half the game with your backup quarterback. I, I agree. But I am curious because it's so new and such a different element uh, up there in Seattle without the fans. And they're going to do it with a defensive line room. But let's face it, isn't exactly going to be on a first-name basis with anyone. I mean, you, you, you got what? Uh, you have Josh Morrow. You have uh, – I mean, <laughs> Angelo Blackson. Foley, Come on, Paul. Blackson, Come on, Paul. <laughs> Angelo Blackson. I'm, I'm looking for my flip card as we speak. Uh, Michael Dogby will come up from the practice squad. Somebody – what about Lecky Foto or Shard Lawrence, one of the injured rookies? Where do we stand there? Well, Lawrence has been back in practice, so there would be a chance. I guess they could activate him, not that I've heard anything yet. And Lecky Foto just went on IR, so he's oh. not available. Hmm. Can we okay. dig Frosty Rucker and Corey Redding out of retirement? <laughs> That's good. That's good. Absolutely. You know, where, where's Calais? Yeah, you're Bryant. right. Yeah, Eric a... Swan's available. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Swanee. Okay. That's uh, Simeon yeah. Rice might play. <laughs> Simeon, yeah. Simeon Rice, uh, be, he'd be too busy writing uh, tracks for his next album on the, uh, on the bench. So, you know. Trying to get in the Hall of Fame, you know, Paul. Yeah. Those are some all-time personalities, by the way. Oh, yeah, just there, there, there's no question about that. So, okay, all right. Well, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll leave it there on, on Cardinals Underground. Remember, in the immortal words of Craig Grillo, because I know he listens. We'll see if he listens all the way to the very end. Groins are tricky. We'll see you next time. <laughs>